This is a Dalarna University production. Well, yes, very welcome to this interview uh, with uh, Dougal Hein, who gave a very inspirational uh, lecture with the title "The Storm Blowing from the Paradise," and uh, with the notion of crisis. Could you discuss further a little bit about the what role that? Uh, has for a regional university as Högskolan Dalarna? Well, the, the crisis as I was sketching it out in this talk is made up of a number of different forces of change and disruption that we're living through from the long-running um, stalling of economic progress for the middle classes throughout the Western countries, which has been going on for decades but becomes more obvious after the 2008 crisis, to the rise of China and India and the change that we're, we haven't quite framed yet, which is that we're moving from a world in which the biggest economies were high-income countries to a world in which the biggest economies, some of them are low-income countries, and what that means for the possibility or perhaps the impossibility of recovering some of the, the ways of living and the things that we took for granted in terms of economic security and stability in our lives in the world that we grew up in. And what happens when this hits the, the forces of network disruption that we've seen from WikiLeaks and the Arab Spring and the movements across the world in 2011 and since, and the ecological unraveling that we're living through, and the, the deeper kind of cultural crises that are harder to name, harder to define, but that are, are there. The problem that we, we keep looking for ways to try and measure the things that escape our ways of measurement. But whatever it is, whether it's social capital, whether it's putting prices on um, ecological services, somehow it never quite works, never quite solves the problems that we seem to have. So that's kind of the, the storm as I was outlining it. And this is also a new situation for young people who, as you mentioned, have done everything right. Well, that's it. And one of the terms that has been very useful in the last few years in, in discussing how this is playing out is the, the graduate without a future. Paul Mason talks about this in his book, Why It's Kicking Off Everywhere. And the, the recognition that one of the things in common across the, the movements from the Arab Spring to the Occupy movement, the Indignados in Spain, has been this figure of, like you say, young people who've done everything right, coming out of the education system, finding themselves out of work, finding themselves doing unpaid internships, finding themselves in precarious short-term employment, and that's something that we see even within the university sector in, in many countries, and you know, finding themselves not being able to use the skills or to have the lives that they grew up expecting. And the question really is, what do we do instead? And that's where perhaps the role of a regional university is interesting to me, because already by definition you're more connected to the, the social and economic fabric of the place and of the region here in Dalarna. And the issues that are Dalarna's issues are the university's issues 
in a way that is not quite the same for you know, very historic, very traditional um, you know, institutions which are kind of destinations that draw their students from all over the, um, the place. And obviously, you know, um, Hogskoll and Dalana is both very local and very global in terms of the mix of students. But I just think that there might be some possibilities as a newer institution, as an institution which is by definition very connected to the place and to the issues that are affecting the place, to be a partner in experimenting with these questions of what is going to work for young people, what is going to work for the unemployed, what is going to work as a structure for our societies when some of the industries and the forms of employment and the social structures that we grew up taking for granted are being blown away and are not going to come back in a form that we've known. You also mentioned Andrew Taggart as a post-institutional academic and gave some examples that he has found something uh, with networking outside the academy. Uh, could you elaborate on, on Yeah, so it was Andrew who first put you and me in touch, Michael. Sorry. And um, he's an interesting example for me of a phenomenon that I've been um, tracing because it's been my own experience as well, which is of um, young people in or around the sort of generations that were beginning to experience the forces that the graduate without a future is experiencing, for whom the university seemed to be a less hospitable environment than it might have been a generation earlier to our um, you know, academic and intellectual interests and curiosities. But the thing that is important and the thing that I was trying to name in the lecture is that a different set of possibilities have been opened up by networked technologies for people like Andrew, so that he is living as a, a philosopher outside of an institution, making a living, but not just that, being connected to networks of other thinkers and researchers, some of whom are working on the inside of institutions, and others like me are also working predominantly on the outside. And I'm interested in what the rise of that figure and that kind of the networks of outsiders who find it less lonely to be on the outside because of the way that networks allow us to connect and collaborate with each other, how that changes the, the landscape and the role of the university as somewhere which has traditionally been a home for that kind of person. So what would you say about the university of, of a new platform for this kind of networking or, or working with this different, this new, how to say, new situation? I think that's, it's certainly an interesting question. I mean, when people talk about platforms, the immediate thing that comes to mind is um, building online platforms. And you know, we've got quite a lot of those and some of them work very well and some of them don't work as well. But what interests me more than that is the possibility of platform as a metaphor, as a way to help us think about what the institutions we have might become and the ways in which they might relate to the networked individuals operating outside of institutions. Um, so if you want to understand the metaphor of platform, 
maybe it's easiest to think about the change in an area like TV. Um, BBC is a content producer. YouTube is a platform. And you know, content needs to be produced in order for um, platforms to thrive, but maybe it gets easier to produce content in new contexts, gets easier for networked individuals and liked forms of collaboration to be content producers. But those individuals still have needs for access to certain types of resources. They still have um, needs for creating a degree of legibility, making it possible to make visible and communicate the work that they're doing. Um, they don't necessarily want to work in the ways that people are used to working inside institutions. They don't necessarily want jobs of the kind that we have had, um, but they still need to meet, make ends meet and be in a position to support themselves economically um, at, you know, to meet the basics. And so I think what's interesting is we're starting to see the evolution of new platforms for these ways of living. Um, a small experiment with that, the Edge Riders Network, which was set up by Nadia El-Imam, um, a young Swedish woman who uh, has been working with young people all over Europe to look at the ways that people are improvising new ways of making a living and making life work. A different approach to um, the problem of not being in employment, education or training. One of the projects that's grown out of that network is something called the Unmonastery. Um, and what the people who are experimenting with that are saying is, perhaps we need some institutions that are a little bit like monasteries, not in the sense of being religious institutions, but in the sense of being places where people can go for a longer or shorter period of time to live quite simple lives, um, you know, probably uh, a lot less than the kind of lifestyle that the graduate without a future grew up expecting to have, but where there is the opportunity to work on meaningful projects, um, pursuing personal uh, inquiries and collaborations and hopefully creating things that are socially useful. And I think we're going to see a lot of small experiments like that, and that's one way in which platforms are coming together. But I think that as we start to learn things from those experiments, it's also worth thinking about how could slightly larger institutions that have a history, that have weight behind them, reconfigure themselves or reconfigure parts of themselves to create platforms that make them hospitable to the networked individuals who are creating projects like the Unmonastery or who are you know, living out personal intellectual life projects like Andrew Taggart's. And I think that that's, that's an area where I, I think there's room for doing things. So it does, does not necessarily mean that, that universities are not needed anymore? No, I think um, we shouldn't take for granted that um, we need universities. The, the social goods that lie at the heart of universities, um, the handing on of knowledge from one generation to the next, the initiation of young people into a culture, the training and preparation for the practical skills one needs for life, these are very old needs. In one form or another, something like them you find in pretty much every human society we know about. 
you don't find universities in every human society we know about. The university as a form had a beginning. It's been reinvented in various ways over time. It's quite capable of reinventing itself again, but it doesn't have a natural monopoly on those social goods. It may be that those goods find new homes. And this gets clearer if you compare it to the music industry. The music industry would like you to believe that without its existence, music would stop. Now, that's a real part of the force of the argument that they make about piracy. And the problem with that is that you only have to think for a moment to know that people were making music before anyone had dreamed of copyright. And therefore, it's quite likely that when everyone's forgotten copyright, music will still be being made. Um, and that doesn't mean that the university is going away or that the university needs to go away. But if we don't take for granted that these institutional forms, these social forms are the only way that we can make those deep social needs a reality, we might have healthier conversations about what a university is or could be, how it might relate to things that are being done elsewhere in new types of learning space that are beginning to emerge. Well, thank you very much uh, visiting Haukland Dalarna and uh, for everybody, it's, uh, the, your lecture is on, on the YouTube on, on to be found on the Haukland Dalarna and very welcome also to watch the whole lecture, very interesting with Dougal Heinz. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael.